believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. So in chapter 21, David's on the run from Saul, his father-in-law and the king, who's jealous, obsessed, and out of his mind against David. And David's running for his life. And as he's fleeing for his life, we pick up the text. Now, David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business of which I send you or what I have commanded you. And I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the men have at least kept themselves from women... And then David answered the priest and said to him, Well, truly, women have been kept from us for about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is, in effect, common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, uh, but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now, this story is connected to Matthew, like I said, so I'm going to read the Matthew text, chapter 12 of the Gospel of Matthew. This is how this story reads. It's connected to this story a thousand years later. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he, Jesus, said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you, in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So again, this text in Samuel is one of those wonderful stories where we get a full New Testament interpretation, understanding, and further revelation of it for its application. So it's extremely beneficial for us in that sense. So keep that Matthew text in the back of your mind. We'll come back to that later on with the text we read here. So David and the showbread, as he came here to Nob, where Ahimelech was, this is where the tabernacle was, the central place of worship for Israel at this time before the temple was built. Now within David's timeline, he'll move the capital of Israel to Jerusalem. 
And his son Solomon will build the temple there in Jerusalem, and that will become the future central place of worship for the next thousand years for the nation of Israel, even to this day, that central point. The Western Wall is still part of the foundation of the temple that was fortified by Herod. Okay, so, but at this time, this is a central place. So it's like David is going to church. This is his place of worship. When he goes to the tabernacle, it's the central place of worship. And there in the tabernacle, we had the, we'd have the showbread, the altar of incense, and the lampstand. These are the three things that we studied made of gold in the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy that were outside the holies of holies. So in the tent of the holy place, two-thirds was the holy place where these three elements were, the showbread, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the lampstand. And then inside the veil, the final third was the holies of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was that the high priest went into once a year to make atonement for his sins and then the people's sins. And that's Yom Kippur, which Sam just taught on, on Tuesday, and then the Day of Atonement, the scapegoat, and all of that. So this is the central place of worship where David went to with the priest. So Ahimelech is a Levite. He's there. He's the guy in charge of everything. It's the central place of worship. It's that place where all of Israel was meant to go. Listen, very important. No matter which of the tribes you came from, this is a place that you would go to and feel comfort and peace. When you come here to worship the Lord now for 17 years, almost this church, we want you to come in here and feel it is a, a, a place of comfort and peace. It's a place where you worship the Lord. It's a place where you, you, you pray with one another and meet new friends and worship, worship with Scott or Jack or Danny leading us in worship, where you receive the word, where you break bread at a food and fellowship. This facility, if years from now we no longer exist and your, your little kids drive by here as adults, we want them to remember what life was like on these grounds and in this place and, and what the Lord did here. Like for it is how it is for so many people with Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. 3800 South Fairview Avenue is a great memory for so many people for over four decades with Pastor Chuck teaching there and your kids going to school, MCA sixth grade graduation, junior high graduation, high school graduations, the services, 9-11, when thousands of people came there, the National Day of Prayer after 9-11, where the church was overflowing, all these memories is a safe place. It's a place where you feel safe. Even as a kid and a young adult, I would at times go to the local Catholic church, which was my understanding is where I went to just kind of be with the Lord. I would go to St. Francis fairly often when I was a pro surfer by myself and just gather my thoughts, think about my life, think about what God wanted to do in my life, why I wasn't more obedient, how can I get these things right. But I would go there and I'd drive by St. Francis and it represented that. And many of you went to my mom's memorial at that same church two years ago. All those years I was there at St. Francis, how could I know that's where I'd bury my mom? But that's where I buried my mom. And some of you were there on that day. This is that place for Israel. This is the central place of worship. And here comes David, the one anointed by, king, by the prophet Samuel to be king. Surely that was known to the high priest running the show at this time. Or at the very least, the high priest certainly know, knew that David was the son-in-law of the king, a mighty warrior for the Lord, fearless, courageous, and a man of faith. Maybe he already knew about some of the songs David had written at this time in his life. 
When David showed up at Nob, it should have been an exciting time. It should have been a joyful time. Like when old friends used to come and see Pastor Chuck. Or when someone comes to worship generation, they used to go here years ago and they, they hang out after service. Emily Foster was here a couple weeks ago. And they, though they've only been gone a couple years, the Foster family, they were such a key part of this church. And, you know, lo and behold, it's 10 at night and there's Emily Foster back there talking to people. And she said when she walked in, she didn't hardly know anybody anymore since post-COVID. And so many people moved and everything changed. But it's that place. It's just that place. And it should be a joyful place. But in the time of this story, in the time of this event, where this holy place, the central place of worship, where the showbread is, it's the business of religion as usual, if you will, because it was not religion in a bad way, but it was as God prescribed for the nation of Israel. So the priests would go in and they'd change the bread every week. And that's what they're called to do. And ultimately that bread spoke of Jesus because he said, I'm the bread of life. And then he even, the Gospel of John said that his flesh was the bread that we eat. And the, the idea that our real life, the physical man or woman needs bread to, to food to eat was air, water, um, food, bowels, and sexual drive. Those are the five drives of Maslow. And you can go three minutes without air, you can go three days without water, and you can go three weeks without food. But th- those drives are extremely powerful, and they're put there by God. And the physical drive for food is really ultimately to show us the spiritual drive of our soul to a higher calling, a different dimension, the relationship with God that was lost with the original sin. And thus Jesus would, they have this showbread, and he comes and he says, I'm the bread of life. So even the showbread has a deeper meaning in the, in the scheme of things, because, of course, when Christ came and died and rose from the grave, there is no more showbread. There is no more Yom Kippur. There's no more Day of Atonement. There's no more Passover lamb. There's no more light, uh, the incense, because Jesus is the light of the world. He fulfills it all. They were all shadows of things to come, but the fullness is Christ. But here it's the shadows, a thousand years before he comes. And here David, the man that God says has a heart for him, comes to this place in a desperate, difficult Circumstance. It's a des- desperate situation for him personally and for the nation. And that showbread, as is implied by the text with Jesus in Matthew 12 and the Old Testament, has a very specific purpose. It's to be eaten by the priest. It's changed every week. And it, it really wasn't for David or his men. That's important to understand. So as we look at this text now, the rest of the night with this context... For the heart of God. Because this story, along with the text in Matthew 12, really shows us the heart of God toward people. And it's really important, as we're gathered here as the Church of Jesus Christ tonight, that we understand this text as it applies to us, and it applies through us, toward people that we share planet Earth with in the human experience. This is the background. So, the heart of God revealed in both these stories, the shadow, chapter 21, and the fullness, Matthew 12, when Jesus sheds light on it. Well, the first thing we see here is de- it is desperate times and it's desperate people. There are desperate situations for people, and there are desperate situations that affect a lot of people. David personally in is a desperate situation where his father-in-law is trying to kill him and he's running for his life. It's real. It's desperate. He's scared. The most powerful man in all Israel wants him dead and is pursuing him. And we're going to have this topic for the coming weeks as Saul continues to chase him and pursue him around Israel for what would have been years. 
David is a desperate person. And the context, there is fear. Well, there's practical hunger for David. David is hungry. When you're hungry, you're desperate. He's hungry. He's literally hungry. His guys with him, in the next chapter, gets David's mighty men. There's a whole chapter dedicated in 2 Samuel to David's 30 mighty men. And the beginning of the mighty men takes place in the next chapter. He's got men with him that are by his side, that bear witness to God's calling on his life, and they're together with him in his journey. So he's a desperate person. His people with him are desperate. They're being pursued. They're, they're fugitives. They've done no wrong. There's no wrong against them for why they're being pursued. It's one thing to be a criminal and be on the run. It's quite another when you're innocent and you're being pursued by insane totalitarians. And that's exactly how Saul was at this time. Remember, he's throwing spears even at his own son at this point. David's desperate. There's desperate people. There's desperate circumstances. Ahimelech's desperate. Why would the high priest be afraid when David shows up? You'd think they'd be like happy. Like, I mean, the sword of Goliath is on the grounds, which you took, looked at last week. You think he'd be like, hey, let's just hang out. Let's talk about good things. Like, dude, I got the sword of Goliath. <laughs> dude, there's the sword of Goliath. Like just like when surfers get together, they look at each other's boards. Like they check out boards at the beach. You're like, dude, I like the rails on this thing. You're like, like just something joyful. But instead, it's very... Ahimelech's like, well, hey, what's going on? He's, a de- he's the high priest, and it's a desperate situation for him. He's afraid because Saul has made everybody afraid. It's like the time we're living in. These people in power in our own country, they, they make you afraid because pretty much everything you want to do, they stand for, say, and follow up on is contrary to the good things of God, whatever is true, just, holy, noble, and praiseworthy. So it does feel very threatening to anyone that's trying to do the right thing on planet Earth for Jesus Christ to feel afraid from these people that have power, abuse power, and want more power. And if they make you afraid, don't feel like you're alone. Hey, if we were Christians in Europe in 1932, there's people that make us afraid. Stalin would make us afraid. Hitler would make us afraid. Mussolini would make us afraid. And that fear would be grounded. It's unfortunate that that's the way the human experience is. And right now, out of our control, there are authoritarian, totalitarian people that want to make people that are good people ashamed, embarrassed, canceled for being good and true, noble and holy. And they want to make us afraid. But don't buy the fear. Evil people thrive on fear and intimidation and bullying. But righteous people, they don't need to fear anything. The wicked flee when no one pursues them, but the righteous are bold as a lion, the word of God says. So when I look at this story, when Ahimelech, who should be full of faith, he's the leader of the faith, and he should be full of faith when he sees the anointed one who is confirmed to be anointed by the prophet, the greatest prophet in 400 years, you'd think everyone would be full of faith, but there's fear. So he acknowledges the reality of fear. It's a desperate time. It's a desperate situation. You study church history particularly Christians in China from like 1860 when Hudson Taylor first went there, the whole advance with the Inland China mission to like 1905 when he stepped into eternity, and then the time of Eric Little's parents, you know, Chariots of Fire, their time, Billy Graham's grandparents, uh, Ruth's parents, you know, Ruth was a missionary child. They grew up in China. 
and their time in China, the World War I time in China, and all the fragmented, the communists and the boxers and the boxer rebellion in 1902 and all that, all the violence on Christians that were foreigners, Christians that were Chinese. And then you just go right through the 30s and being invaded by Japan and Manchuria and all that stuff. And then you've got Ken and Betty Stom and all these people that were went through so much for the church of Jesus Christ in a desperate, difficult time. And I'm fascinated when I read stories like Eric Little or Hudson Taylor or the Stowns or the movie In the Seventh Happiness, you know, or the famous Hollywood movie, which is based on a true story as well, to, to the most part. Gladiol's story. And you watch this time, like, how did they do this? Like, how did Christians, like, how did they stay there? How did Eric Little, who won the gold medal on a Tuesday for Britain and God and King and Country, how did he, how did he die of a brain tumor in a concentration camp in China? Yet he served the Lord to the last day. Like, what was it like when he put his family on the boat back to to, to put him on the boat to uh, to uh, I think it was Canada actually. The extended family was in Canada. Like, I just don't even know. And by the way, I don't want to know. Do you? But nonetheless, this is the legacy of the church. We need to continue to live by faith, no matter how much human government is trying to impose fear. Because fear makes everyone do weird things. It makes good people lie like David. It makes Corey Tim Boom have to lie. It makes... Uh, Rahab have to lie when they're knocking on the door to kill the spies whose lives are saving. When evil men and evil women are in power, it says in Proverbs 29 that the righteous hide themselves. And it's tempting to hide ourselves. But we're told that we're the light of the world, we're salt, and we're to be living our faith and having done all stand. So for the Church of Jesus Christ on planet Earth 2022, with a European war that appears escalating, again, just the insanity of our own government, and I'm not afraid to say it, and it all seems as it's coming to an apex, like a high tide mark, going towards something that none of us truly understand, whether it's the feds, the economy, the stock market, or any of these things. Do not live in fear, body of Christ, but live by faith. When David comes to the place of worship and you're the high priest, greet him, shalom, shalom, in faith. Not because you understand what's going on or you control what's going on, but because you know who's on the throne of your heart and rules your mind. And while you know what the worst case scenario might be, you also live in the present of hoping for the best case scenario. Because again, faith is a substance of things hopeful, the evidence not yet seen. And our faith, we're told that we overcome the evil one by our faith. That's how we overcome them. Faith and fear cannot inhabit the same place at the same time. This light can't be on and off at the same time. It's light or darkness, and it's faith or fear. And Desperate people are in desperate situations, but you must keep your wits, keep Christ enthroned in our heart, let the peace of God rule in our hearts, and keep the faith at all times. 
When we had the tornado warning in the car the other day, it's scary when your phone goes off and says, take shelter immediately, and you're surrounded by the most powerful storm you've ever seen in your life. But I knew what I needed to do in that dark highway in Texas. I knew there was shelter five miles back this way. And I knew there had to be a U-turn spot, or I could take the middle divide if I had to, but I knew I couldn't go straight toward the shelter down warning. Okay. Remember General Henri taught at the Red Cross training 10 years ago, who was director of all relief of Hurricane Katrina. When there's a crisis, everyone dumbs down in a critical situation. Average people, he said this, I'm quoting him, average people get stupid, above average people get average. So it's really important that we keep our wits in desperate situations as desperate people. We're going to turn around, we're going to pray, we're going to drive fast, but not reckless, and we're going to go back here, and we're going to take shelter there. That's what we're going to do. Observe what's the best situation, what's the next thing, and do what's next. That's what we do as the church. We have faith that God's in control. And we pray like things all in the Lord's hands, and then we make the best decision we can with any given circumstance, like Corrie ten Boom hiding Jews in her house in, the, in Holland when the Nazis are occupying, stealing, taking radios and bullying people and taking them off to death camps. Our faith is always in Jesus, whether there's a tornado warning or the Nazis are knocking on the front door. Our faith is always in Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So in the case of David, Ahimelech is a desperate person. He's fearful because of the authority in the land, what's going on in the land, the mandates of King Saul. David's fearful because they're literally coming for him like a hurricane or a tornado. The most powerful man in the land is seeking him out to execute him. So he's lying. So in the midst of this situation, this story, we see that desperate people have desperate situations, and it's, it happens in real life. We, we cannot think that we get through this journey where we don't, we're not desperate people and we don't have desperate situations. We'll have personal desperate situations, and we can have social desperate situations. And planet Earth is definitely in the midst of a desperate global situation right now. Our entire planet, the way it does economy, everything is completely being thrown upside down right now. So I just acknowledge before all of you with faith in Jesus, these are the, this is the reality. And it shouldn't keep you from getting up and praising Jesus and having joy in your heart and getting about what the Lord has for you tomorrow and going to bed in peace tonight. Because even Paul said, when the Holy Spirit told him, there's going to be difficult, desperate situations for you in Jerusalem, he said, none of things move me nor do I count my life dear to me, that I'm going to complete what God has for me. Our life is in his hands, our eyes are on Jesus, and we do the best we can every day. But we don't drink from the cup of fear, especially the fear of men, evil men or women. We drink from the living water of Christ Jesus with our eyes on him as our hope. So desperate people should be that much more desperate for Jesus and that much more dependent upon Jesus. With all things. So when the thoughts come at you, what are we going to do about retirement and the inflation and now we're going to recession? You know what? Like, what, do you, what are you going to do? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what you're going to do. We're going to keep living for Jesus. 
Someone told me last night, oh, the banks, the government can do this with houses. And even if your house is paid off, if they want to take your house, they take your house. It's what the Nazis did. It's what Stalin did. He took all Ukraine back in the 30s. They just do what they want to do. Like, or in the late 20s, the Ukrainian famine with Stalin. Man, listen, if, if people, people want to take your house, your life, they're going to do it. So don't, don't lose sleep over it. Be faithful in the present. Be a faithful steward. When the Lord comes, he finds you doing what you're called to do. If evil men take it, it gives you a chance to have more fruit in eternity. That's the bottom line. Keep loving, keep forgiving, keep serving, keep planning, keep going forward. When it's all said and done, if you've got squatters in your property in Los Angeles County, you've got squatters in your property in Los Angeles County. Just give them to the Lord. It's fruit for you in eternity. What's better, rent in California in 2022 or eternal fruit for all eternity because you're not paying your rent and you can't evict them and you can't sell the property. And now that law goes till 2025. It's probably never going to end. He's going to trust in Jesus. He gave it to you. It's his squatter problem, not your squatter problem. The devil can take anything beautiful and make you terrified of it. The high priest, our high priest Jesus, doesn't come with fear. What are you doing here? He's going to build us up. He's going to take us forward. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.